With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. You cowards, this is your host, Matthew Robertson. You can find me on Twitter, at mrobertson22. And I'm joined, as per usual, by the least cowardly person in the Lookout Landing universe, our very own Kate Prusser. Kate, how was that intro? Does that, oh, does that meet your standards? I mean, I love it, but I think it's also like a little bit of a lie, because I'm pretty pretty cowardly. Oh. Well, um, I mean... I hope not in, like, general life terms, but I just had, like, a real stare down with a spider that, like, <laughs> almost resulted in me moving out of my house, so. Sometimes that's what you have to do. When met with adversity, I prefer to bail a lot of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. As far as fight or flight goes, I'm, like, 100% flight, flight, flight. Yes, yes, which would not be a good mindset for these minor league players who are called up to the big leagues. And no, really, this is why you and I are not baseball players or exactly sports reason. figures of any kind. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I actually have had a nice little morning, afternoon, whatever it is. I like went on a run and what? ate vegetables. What? And I was thinking like, oh man, I could have, if I had just been doing this for my whole life, who knows what would have happened. <laughs> like, I feel like my, my morning was something that noted health expert Kyle Lewis would be proud of, which is not something that's normally true about me. So he would not declare it terrible. No. I mean, most things in my life, he would, like, <laughs> bong rips are terrible for you. White Claw-eyed. 
I don't know how how I think White Claw is close to beer, and I don't think Kalu approves of any alcohol except wine because right. that is as aforementioned. Right. Yeah, for those who have no idea what we're talking about, track down the video. It's on the Lookout Landing Twitter. It's Kyle Lewis just giving, like, basically a stump speech on his Instagram (laughs) story about what what vices in life are either terrible for you or, in his words, I for you. And wine is the only one that he deemed I. Hookah was the thing that he really, like, he was really adamant about not ever going near. Hookah, terrible for you. Terrible. And then it ends with uh, terrible. drink but... some water, man, which is I just want to isolate that audio <laughs> and just have it pop up as like an alarm on my phone, you know, every so often. Because uh, who doesn't yeah, need that every reminder? couple hours? Exactly. I, I feel like I drink a decent amount of water, but it's nowhere near what I should be doing. That's true. You are always toting around your uh, hydro flask or whatever it is. Yes, I'm in the pocket of hydro flask. <laughs> we are big hydro. We're big hydro. Hydro flask, contact us. Sponsor the Lookout Landing podcast. We have only glowing things to say about your product. I'm saying that. That's true. We also have, because of his just outrageous performance, only glowing things to say about Kyle Lewis. Ooh, who... Segway Kings. Segway King. I'm, I mean, I've, I'm really, I'm really in like late season form where like <laughs> I feel like I have enough reps that I know what I'm doing, but like it's not a very high pressure situation anymore. Like we're not in the pennant race, right? Very to, similar like, to the Mariners. Exactly. I don't have to focus on like every pitch. I can just kind of, <laughs> I can, I can throw some get me over fastballs here today. <laughs> but Kyle Lewis, I mean, greatest Mariner of all time. Is that is that a conversation we're ready to have? I, I mean, mean I, that that appears to be the trajectory. Yes. Right. I'd say he's at least top two, and he's not two, so he only <laughs> leaves one spot. Uh yeah, he's off to a just. I mean, for those of us who watched him in Arkansas this year, I think it is a little bit of a surprise, just because he does have swing and miss. Um, tendencies he's always struck out a fair amount i mean in the like mid-20s range this year he really struck out a lot at arkansas i mean there were there were months where his strikeout rate was close to like 30 percent. so it's been surprising that there hasn't been a lot of strikeouts he really seems to be hunting his pitches he has a good approach he laid off some really tough sliders from column a in an at bat last night um I've been really, really impressed with the with the approach at the plate, and then obviously the power. Um, uh, we know that Dickie Stevens suppresses offense, but um, I don't think anyone realized how bad it was until Kyle Lewis came up and, you know, bopped three homers in his first three games. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because you've been watching this all season you are probably i would imagine in the 99th percentile of mariners minor league baseball watching which is an accomplishment in itself we we're working on like some sort of sash to present you (laughs) but so can you explain dickie stevens park is it the dimensions of the field itself is it geography is it like some dark arts that transcend (laughs) this earthly plane or why does the ball not travel there do you know um well part of it is Left-handed hitters are less punished than righties in Dickie Stevens just because of, like, the dimensions. So it is a little bit of the dimensions. There's a short wall in in right field. So, you know, Kalnick, uh, Cal Raleigh, when he's batting from that side, they've been able to sneak some over that that fence. Um, left is a, is a little bit 
I don't know the exact dimensions off the top of my head, but it's a little bit deeper. Uh, so it's trickier for your right-handed hitters to pull one out. And then center field is just like where baseballs go to die. Like there's, it's really, really difficult to hit one out in center. Um, so it is a little bit the, the dimensions, but really what's challenging about Dickie Stevens is for whatever reason, it's near the Arkansas river and the wind just cuts right through the stadium, blows really hard. And when you get a ball up in the air, it just knocks it right down. So it is offense suppressing. Um, I feel like this is one of the worst years that I've watched for it, not just for the Mariners hitters, but also for opposing batters, which we should maybe think about when looking at um, some of the Arkansas pitching staff. Some of them have pretty, some of them have very neutral home road splits. Justin Dunn is one of those. Um, others have in like nuts ones, like an ERA that is three times higher at other parks. So got it. It's, it's a, it's funny. a weird place. It's funny to think that like he's welcoming the idea of hitting in Safeco field when it's cold. Outside. <laughs> I believe you mean T-Mobile park. First I of all, do not. Well, <laughs> it's funny though, that like, there's like this excitement of like, Oh my God, like I can get out of. You know, yeah. the offense suppressing <laughs> right, that I right. was playing in and come to like one of the historically hardest places to hit home runs in the majors and just say, fuck that. Basically, I'm hitting a home run every time. Yeah. I mean, wait until you. Oh, my gosh. Wait until he gets to go to other parks. Right. right? Like, he's going to be so excited. Yeah. Has he heard about Houston? <laughs> <laughs> Home. for home runs kyle let me introduce you to the crawford boxes oh, he's gonna love it i don't know the rangers are tearing down their stadium for whatever reason but i can't imagine that it's gonna be like a, a cavernous new one i'm sure the ball will still fly in the, in the new globe life or whatever they're calling yeah it. i don't know a lot about it but um i have heard that it's going to be maybe not as offensive friendly as globe life was but kind of pretty similar um, it won't be open all the time and exposed to the elements, which is both good and challenging. Right, right. For me, with uh, with Kyle Lewis, because the, in these like early tiny, tiny sample sizes, like it's hard to sort of take anything from their results. Like We've seen a lot of variance in these debuts. Like I was looking at Kyle Seeger's first year, and he went 3 for 27 with 8 strikeouts to start his rookie year and took 18 games to hit his first home run. So it's like the exact opposite of what we're seeing from Lewis now and kind of just a nice reminder that like baseball is wonky and you can have a great three games at any point in your career. He just happened to have it right off the bat. But I think the thing that and you kind of mentioned this, too, is when actually watching each at bat and his approach is he's hitting fastballs and breaking stuff with like pretty equal authority, like the big home runs have come on the fastball, but he's sitting back on a lot of breaking pitches and just kind of serving them like almost I mean, I don't want to make that this actual comparison, but it's like Edgar Martinez-like in the way that mm. he just sees the ball where it's being pitched and just hits it that way. Like, he had one really sharp single the other way on a breaking ball. That was nice to see. I feel like that's a pitch that a lot of rookies would just swing right over or hit a weak ground ball to the third baseman, but he got the barrel to it and hit it the other way, which I think is, like, one of the most encouraging things that a young player can do is not just, you know, be destroying the fastball or just sitting breaking ball, which would be a weird move, but... Have yeah, you I mean, that? like it's very <clears throat> measured on on both uh, types of pitches that he's seeing. Yeah, it's so even the fastball that he destroyed from uh, Sunny Gray was 
he saw that he had no chance against the breaking stuff. He knew Gray was going to try to steal a strike early on with the fastball, and he was ready for it, and he just crushed it. And I mean, even though, yeah, that was a first pitch fastball ambush, like, that's still a really smart plan to go up to the plate with. So that's been encouraging. And I do think one of his, one of his home runs was on a slider, I think. It's hard to keep track of all of them now. (laughs) (laughs) I know. There have only been three, but it seems like I've been watching each plate appearance of his so intently that they are kind of running together. Um, I think the other thing to highlight about Kyle Lewis's performance is how hard he hits the ball. Um, He has had, like, now he has not hit every single ball over 100 miles an hour, but initially, when he was making contact... Even the ground outs were going, like, triple digits, which is impressive authority to be making contact with right off the bat against major league pitching. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that Jerry DePoto has talked about, right, is in their Mm -hmm. little... I mean, it's hard to get exit velocity numbers from the minor leagues, I bet, but what Jerry DePoto has said is, like, he has one of the better, like, average exit velocities, I guess, or hard hit rate, whatever you want to call it, of anyone in the system, which is... Great to see, because that also kind of tells you, like, in Dickie Stevens, he's not getting the results, maybe, of power numbers, but he's still hitting the ball hard enough that he'll play in regular stadiums that aren't under the guise of witchery or whatever. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think that um, that was probably a big talking point with Kyle Lewis over this season, was like, you know, keep the faith and stay true to your approach, don't alter your approach, um, which I think he did a little bit bit with the strikeouts going out so but I think he got frustrated honestly and you know it's his first full year he really wanted to be putting up these power numbers he wants to reclaim his prospect status you know and especially coming off of he was just killing the ball in spring training and everyone was like oh my gosh Kyle Lewis and then he kind of goes to Dickie Stevens and has that all sucked away I I think that there's a lot of pressing in his numbers I saw some plate appearances that were um, generally he would put up really good ones. And then once in a while you could just tell he really wanted to come up big in a spot and just couldn't. Um, and then towards the end in the playoffs, he, he turned it on. I mean, he does have like a little bit, I hate to say this, but he is like a clutch gene. Um, he knows how to play in the playoffs. He did it in Modesto, did it in Arkansas. He does have like another gear that he can kind of where he locks in at the plate and just makes really good decisions, which is again, great to see a great response to pressure. So, um, but yeah, I would like to kind of remind people what Kyle Lewis was doing in Arizona. And obviously that's a super offensively happy environment, but he was just getting to everything. So what we're seeing now, I think is not necessarily sustainable, but the real truth of Kyle Lewis, I think is somewhere between that crazy offensive happy environment he was hitting in in Arizona and then the crazy offensive depressing environment in Dickie Stevens. Yeah. And the weird like outcomes from it is pretty much just baseball. Like I know that's not like a profound statement. Like (laughs) baseball is weird. Sometimes you hit the ball really hard five times and make five outs. And sometimes you do the opposite and get five hits. But like, it's just one of those things where you can't like, I know this is probably very hard for people who are like very, uh, like instant gratification kind of people or like the people who want well, who to see, would be like that 
Right. Yeah. What a what a way to live in our uh, in our instant you know internet based culture. Having patience. No, what? could not be me. But like, I mean, Justin Dunn came up and he was you know all ready to go. Had his little opener start against the Reds, which I think was a pretty good way to introduce him to the majors. Like you get to see Vado and Suarez, but then if you get through them, then it's like okay, now you're settled in and you get some lesser hitters. And he still struggled. I mean, he was having a tough time getting the fastball over the plate. He also, we should mention, probably wasn't getting a lot of help from Omar Narvaez. He was getting who, no help, like neg- negative help. He was getting actively hurt by yeah, Omar Narvaez's The group framing. project member who doesn't even show up. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, worse. The group mem- project member who shows up and, like, f- screws everything up. Yeah, that's probably like, a better Like, oh, did I it. knock over this can of poster paint onto the thing you just spent two hours working on? Oh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's the Omar Narvaez experience. Who, I guess if we're, you know... We Well-natured talk about bad, sabotage. We gotta talk about his bad defense, because it is there. But he is also having a fantastic offensive year, which is not nothing. Omar Narvaez has been one of the actual hitters that I like watching on the Mariners on a consistent basis. Right. Not to say that the new guys are also not fun to watch, but like from April to right now, Narvaez has been one of the more complete hitters on the team. So we like that, Omar. Just maybe don't even touch a bat this offseason. Just stay in a crouch, <laughs> stay in a crouch literally all winter and just have your family throw shit at you. I will be interested to see what the, what they do with him in the off season. Um, going back to Kyle Lewis and his struggles, I think like what you saw with that was a lot of the Mariner, Andy McKay, the Mariners development staff talks a lot about the process and the process isn't always going to give you the results that you want. You're not always going to see exactly what you want to see, but you have to stick to your plan. And they're big on that. Like, don't necessarily look at what the end result is. Look at, you know, am I executing my pitches? Am I take? Am I making good swing decisions? That kind of thing. Um, so I hope that that was a big topic of conversation with Kyle Lewis. Probably that's a too. big conversation with Justin Dunn. Yeah, I mean, coming off a bad start, that was seemed to be the main thing you'd want to tell him is like, hey, you might have not gotten anyone out really, but you like yeah. you got to stick to what got you here. I mean, it's great. Like, I remember reading once that it's like the Yankees in the mid '90s when they were just murdering everyone. Their whole thing was like, when we call people up, we don't give them any actual like coaching changes for 30 days. Like, let them do what got them here for 30 days, and then we have a little bit of a, a sample size to be like, okay, you're not doing this no. great, let's change this. But immediately getting called up and then having someone tell you, oh, change the, your you know your swing plane or your stance or your pitch grip or whatever is not a good way to do it. So like with Justin Dunn, yeah, his start was pretty awful, but you can't immediately go to him and be like, okay, we're going back to the drawing board. It's instead, you know, keep doing what you're doing. That was one bad start. That's not who you are, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And I think it's important, too, to note that Dunn is at the end of pitching 130 innings. Um, It's not any more than he pitched with the Mets, but last year, but he was last year split between two levels, between high A, which he was really too good for, and double A. Um, And the Texas League is, again, a difficult place to pitch. He was pitching to um, Gavin Lux and a bunch of, there are a bunch of, big prospect dudes on that Dodgers team. Um, boy, Jeter Downs. <laughs> yeah, Jeter Downs, who was um, 
hit over 300 in the Texas. One of like four batters, I think, who hit over 300 in the Texas League this year. Yeah, that was a classic because I put together the uh, the game thread for the the Travelers Drillers game that was oh, on yes. Sports, and I was looking at the the Drillers lineup. I was like, I <laughs> have Jeter Downs, like cl- like trying to like laugh at him and like you know be like, oh how funny we have like Jeter babies. And then I looked at his numbers. I was like, "Oh, this is not, this <laughs> yeah, is not a no. joke by any stretch of the imagination." <laughs> no, he, guy. no, Jeter Downs is uh, is not a joke. And um, you know, one of the things about following minor league baseball is you know all the names before everyone else does. So like, you've kind of already heard all the jokes. So I'm not yeah. excited for the rest of the world to find out about Jeter Downs and have to hear all the Jeter Downs jokes over and over again. Kate but. is ready for all your JB Buskikaukis. Who is gone though, right? Wasn't gone from trade? the Astros. Not yeah. our problem anymore. So that's yeah. fantastic. We got rid of him and Seth Beer, right? Got rid of Seth name. Beer, yeah, which is uh, also pretty pretty good news. Uh, Astros fan, a- Astros farm took a, a little bit of a hit this year yes. with their trades. That noise you hear is the Astros window closing rapidly. <laughs> well, there's there's still uh, Kyle Tucker, Forrest Whitley, and <laughs> I know, and there's like a bunch of other scary pitcher dudes on the farm uh one thing i would like to say about the astros pitching philosophy and maybe this can we can come back to the mariners in this so the mariners were right up there in all the leagues that they play with with the dodgers and the astros they only share one league with the astros affiliate that's the texas league so double a um the astros led double a in strikeouts obviously the Dodgers led high A Modesto or the California League in strikeouts, but Modesto had a better walk, uh, strikeout to walk ratio than the Dodgers did. And by, you know, a, a significant amount, I think it was like a hundred strikeouts or something. Um, and then a way better strikeout to walk ratio than the Astros club did in the Texas league. And they do play in like sort of a more offensive f- friendly park, but they had a much better team ERA. I think it was like two runs lower. Um, so th- there's a difference in the Mariners philosophy, which is let's get a lot of strikeouts, but also control the walks. Whereas the Astros and the Dodgers are like, throw as hard as you can get a bunch of strikeouts. If you walk guys, no big deal. You're just going to strike the next one out. So it's two kind of divergent pitching plans. So the Mariners are chasing guys who maybe don't throw as hard but have better command and still trying to get those guys to strike everyone out. The Astros and Dodgers are getting guys who throw really hard, walk a bunch of people, but hopefully get their strikeouts done. But when they get hurt, they get hurt kind of big because there are guys on bases because they've walked them. So I'm really interested to see how this philosophy plays out over the next couple of years like do these command issues for these pitchers go away once they get to the majors or does it matter that like if you if you walk a bunch of guys but you're still throwing 99 and striking everyone out like does it matter so yeah that's a dangerous way to live though i mean two walks and then a 99 mile per hour pitch right down the middle like can become three runs very quickly you know what i mean exactly and you said they get hurt big with a couple walks and a home run is like a lot of teams are trying to do that offensive approach too. So you're kind of playing into their hands sometimes if you're doing that. It's a real move towards the three true outcomes, right? Yeah. Cause they want their hitters hitting home runs and they want their pitchers striking everyone out. So it's like, it's an emphasis on those two aspects of the game. 
Um, you can see those guys coming up in Houston now. Like uh, Josh James is a little bit, he has better control, I think, than a lot of these other guys. Framber Valdez is a good example of that. They keep trying to make him a starter. I don't think he's a starter. I don't think he has starter command or durability. I think he's a reliever. They've been forced by some injuries to use him in that way. Um, they're like, I don't know. If, I was just looking. It's like every pick a random Astros minor leaguer and they all kind of have the same numbers. They all have strikeout totals that are like double digit per nine. And they also have walks that are like four or five per nine. It's, yeah. it is kind of crazy to see. It's just, it's, it's definitely the kind of, it's, I think we have enough information that we can say like, this is definitely their pitching philosophy. So but it's wild I'll be interested that, like, to see. It's wild that the Astros thing is like we have a plan and then we draft and acquire players who are like that fit in that plan and everyone else is like whoa we've never heard of this (laughs) who like who told you what to like it's so funny that they think what witchery is is this exactly like they have unearthed some like yeah look look at the look at big brain brad over here (laughs) big big brain jeff the mariners i mean it's obviously like a one one off example sort of thing but like they already found that like highly actualized version of what you're talking about with George Kirby where all he does is just throw strikes and like yeah. not going to overpower anyone but literally like pitches as though if he walks a single person he's going to get cut <laughs> he does that crazy streak right what was it like didn't walk a single person in Everett, right? And then no, not a single of, person. In Everett. And at the end of his college career too, which was the same season essentially, like he had a streak to end that year at Elon where he didn't walk anyone. I want to say it's like sixty-seven innings or that something is crazy. Like, yeah, it's. I mean, he just does not. He's gonna make you beat him in the zone, and I, I mean that is going to. Once he gets to hitters who aren't in the Northwest League, like they're gonna make contact. Like he, there are gonna be hits off of him, but. Again, the idea is if he's in the zone often enough, he's going to get his strikeouts. He's not going to put free pa- free bases or free runners on. Right. Um, so he's going to limit damage. He's going to give up some damage, but it's going to be limited. Um, and I'm I am interested in seeing like what the command control specifically. I think if we see, and it's hard, right? Like it's hard to. It's hard to tell what LJ Newsom could be. So LJ Newsom is another one. I think he led all of minor league ball in strikeout to walk ratio. Um, and if he didn't end the season on top of the leaderboard, he was up there for most of the season. Um, he struggled when he first got to AA because the pitch that he used, the, the goat ball, as Reggie McLean nicknamed it, the high fastball was not fooling batters like it was in high Modesto. Um, so he had to make an adjustment. He had to start working on mixing more of his breaking stuff in. And once he did that, the strikeouts went back up. So I'll be interested in seeing he's going to start out the year at double A again next year. I'll be interested in seeing like, does that kind of lower velocity? I mean, he's got more velocity than he had. He's up at like, you know, the low nineties, they're hoping to send him to gas camp again and see if they can wring a little more out of that tiny little frame, which seems like a big ass to me. But um, they're going to try to get him up around 94. And, you know, we'll see. Like, does 94 with pinpoint command and some breaking stuff 
play against these advanced hitters. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, the big intrigue for as long as this step back is happening is not even just like, oh my God, they're up in the majors. Now let's watch them. It's the like, how are they developing the things that the organization specifically is telling them to do or wants to see like the whole plan thing that we're talking about. Like if they have like several things that they want to hit on with each of their prospects, like do this, we're going to try to, you know, be better than the other teams by doing this and then seeing how the pitchers can go out and execute it. Like that's, that's the good stuff right there. Not just like (laughs) get people out however you can. Like it's good to have like an actual, almost like a lesson plan for these kids because they are, I mean, they're, they're kids still getting their first, second, third taste of professional baseball. And I feel like it's much easier to like focus in on your job when you have like specific instructions rather than just, you know, here's the ball, (laughs) go do your thing. Right. And we're starting to see too, um, guys who are part of the long-term plan, right? Like this is not the trading for band-aids to try to prop up the major league team. The guys who are here now are guys that they're invested in. They're guys who are either new-ish to the organization, like Dunn and Kelnick and um, Justice, and they see them as a long-term future, or they're guys who have been here for long enough, like LJ Newsom, uh, Joe Rizzo in Modesto is another good example, who have been here long enough that they've kind of absorbed a lot of this coaching. Um, And that's what I'm most interested in seeing, is seeing the guys who are like, who have been foundationally shaped by the Mariners organization and seeing how they perform. So we can start start to evaluate, like, is this player development working? Yeah. I believe that it is. I think that the early signs that I'm seeing down on the farm from watching the minors so closely is, like, the signs are positive. The, the growth by prospects this year on the farm was incredible. I mean, Logan Gilbert was everything you wanted and more. Um, I mean, he, he was just dominant at every level. He got all the way up to double A before he really faced any kind of a challenge. And it was, it's really encouraging to see, to see things like that. And okay. Like maybe this is a little different than what other people are doing, but it's going to work. Um, and what you were talking about with like the Yankees giving 30 days to a call up before they start making changes, Ideally, we're not going to see that happening in the Mariners organization just because the commun- what they really focus on is pushing communication from level to level so that guys are hearing the same thing at every level. And there's an organizational philosophy that they're all working around. And each guy might have an individual plan, but every person at every step of their journey along the minor leagues knows what that plan is. And, has, and knows how to articulate it to the player. So the player isn't getting, like, a lot of conflicting information, which was the problem we saw with, like, Mike Zanino, right? Like, Oh, God, yeah, exactly. Every level he was at, it was, you know, change this, change this, change this. So when there is a, a change, like, they had Joe Rizzo make a slight change in his swing this year. Not really his swing, but more his posture. Uh, they've straightened him up a little more. He used to really hinge his hips and, like, kind of, stick his butt out they've straightened him up um but they brought that's been like a the talk of baseball like the posture posture bellinger and yelich are the two poster children of like standing straight up in the box basically and now i mean it's a copycat 
sort of thing right. where it's like if you can get because Yelich was famously like a almost a slap hitter and like they right. just straightened him up and told him to hit more balls in the air and he became probably the best left-handed hitter in baseball definitely I yeah I have not seen a ton I think posture is like kind of a little bit of a buzzword right now or it's maybe just something that like we haven't heard about but yeah I've definitely noticed that like hitting Twitter is all about posture right now that's the big hot topic of conversation um but with Rizzo, what they did was they brought him in during the off season and they gave him like a PowerPoint presentation where they looked at Ju- Justin Turner, you know, pre-breakout, post-breakout. They looked at Cole Calhoun when he was really struggling versus the adjustment he made. I think it was last year when he was really bad. Remember yeah, when he Cole- changed his stance big time? Yeah. So they pointed out like the mechanical adjustments those guys had made and they were like, this is going to work for you. And so... Rizzo was given a clear formulated plan by kind of all the minor league stakeholders, coaches, you know, the Andy McKay, up top to bottom. He was given evidence as to why the, why they wanted him to make this change. And then he was given, you know, specific mechanical instruction on how to do it. And I think that like, that's teaching. (laughs) I don't know baseball that well, but I know teaching and that's good teaching. So I'm excited to see, like, what kind of that unity is going to look like as they go forward. Assuming, I I mean, it's all is assuming that they have good teachers in place. But I think um, pitching wise, I definitely believe in the pitching side. The hitting side, I'm still waiting to see. Yeah. So in that in that vein, actually, I was going to ask you just simply is donnie walton a thing like this is Ah. not a rhetorical question i'm genuinely curious if you think he fits in this plan because i mean jp and shed are sort of the you would think like that's the the shortstop second base combo that they want i could be wrong obviously but jp for sure and i don't know if we want donnie barrels every day at third base (laughs) as the heir to kyle seager i mean maybe he could do it like again you know things happen in baseball every year like that but what do you think as someone who's seen a lot more of the barrel monkey than I have. <laughs> well, it's been difficult to see the barrel monkey because he's, um, he's been hurt. Uh, not this year. This was the first full year he played, um, without any injury or promotion kind of jumping between levels. He was at one level and he was healthy for the whole year. And the result was a career year. I don't know, uh, if it was based in any kind of mechanical change or or what it was if it was just knowing the league a little better um one thing that I wish that our Arkansas affiliate did a little more was I have some more interviews with the guys or you know get get a little more into that side of things Uh, Keaton does such a great job of that in Modesto that it's really easy to track what's happening down there um I'd love to have a little more of that information about Arkansas but uh, yeah, that's something that we'll look into this off season. I think is is trying to trying to backhack it with and see if we can make any judgments about what's happened. But it's so hard with the minor leagues. Basically, all minor league video is wiped out from pre twenty nineteen because they upgraded their system. So it's really challenging to go back and try to find any video to make uh, comparisons with. So. But is Donnie Walton a thing? Um, I mean, I don't know. He's a, he's a, I wouldn't call him a pop-up prospect because he's been solid at every stop. 
he is 25, so, like, this is what you want to see from somebody who's been in the minor leagues as long as he has. He's, I think, underrated as a shortstop. He's a, he's a very good defensive shortstop. Um, smooth yeah, hands, quick play. feet. Yeah. First first play of his major league career. <laughs> That's an easy play for him. I mean, he can he can make a splash play here or there. But yeah, it is it does kind of raise the question what's the role for him with JP Crawford? We know that Crawford is a little bit injury prone or has been um you know, we've seen some of that this season even. So, there are worse things than having a bunch of extra utility infielders. Hanging sure, around. We have so many of those guys. It's kind of why I was like trying to see if there's a room for Donnie because I mean, there's going to be a decision at some point. It's like the Dylan Moore, Austin Nola. Right. Cause I mean, those guys have more positional Tim versatility Lopes. maybe. Yeah. Tim Lopes. Um, and those guys more Nola especially have shown like flashes of pretty surprising power, especially when you look at Dylan Moore having like a, a concave lower body where it somehow <laughs> juts inward when he gets to his hips. <laughs> He's so small. How He's does he so do it? small in his He's lower body, so but when he small. connects with the ball, it really fucking flies. It's I unreal. don't understand. I have written many letters to NASA. I want. I demand an explanation how he has an ISO that equals his weight. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe it's the Altuve, but even Altuve is even shorter. But Altuve is like springy. Altuve yeah. reminds me of like a like an animal with like haunches, you know, like a rabbit or something, like something sure. with powerful back legs that just can jump and Yeah, and Altuve has like the Pablo Sanchez swing where he's like you can tell that it's like a big <laughs> like I'm trying to hit a home run every time. Dylan Moore like even some of his home runs he'll do the like just like a straight level swing where he like contorts his whole body around like he puts his little tiny hips into the entire swing. (laughs) Like that one he hit into the bullpen against the Reds. Like if you watch the replay, he'd like hits it. And I think he thinks it's like a line drive into the gap and he like takes off. Yeah. And then the ball just goes over the fence. It's so funny to watch. He, um, he, in some ways his swing or his follow through reminds me of Mitch Hanniger. Like the way that Hanniger tries to just wring every bit of power out of his, not enormous, but considerably larger than Dylan Moore's frame. Um, I call it the dish rag, kind of just this ringing motion at the end where they're twisting. That's exactly what it is. Um, so I, and that's a that's a Tim Laker thing that Hanniger developed working with Tim Laker even before he was a Mariner, and now Tim Laker is with the Mariners. And I wonder if that is again, it would be interesting to go back and look at Dylan Moore's swing before he got to Seattle and see if he's changed that at all. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a mystery of physics, but it is. It is a, a, an embarrassment of riches to be able to sit around and be like, oh, these, we have all these, we have so many useful utility infielders, we were able to give Christopher Negron to the Dodgers for, like, nothing. Yeah. Just it's got to be kind of fun for service, too, to just make these wild lineup cards in September, where it's like, you have, like, literally, like, Shed six Shed long left guys. field, sure. Yeah. Why not? You have, like, a pretty much six or seven guys on the active roster who can play, like, three or four positions. Yeah. And no, the, I want to see some Austin Nola behind the plate down the stretch, too, just to see, like, what he is back there. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I, the, we were talking about Dylan Moore with the, like, concave lower body. Doesn't look like he should be much of a big hitter. And then, for me, Austin Nola looks like like a, a barista, but at, like, a corporate coffee shop. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's 
like it's not a coffee shop that plays cool music and like everyone who works there has tattoos. It's one of those coffee shops like in the lobby of an office building, sort yeah. of thing, where like he's gonna like he's gonna give you like the best that he can do, but it's not gonna be anything that's like creative almost. Does that make sense? Like yeah, the baseball like, equivalent of it, just it's doing not your a, job. It's not a Starbucks, but definitely all their products are supplied by like Cisco or whatever it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we love Cisco. They they make a good product. <laughs> yes. Cisco consider sponsoring the podcast, please. Yes. Cisco uh, and Hydroflask, get at me. Right. Um I have face blindness for Austin Nola. I do not remember what he looks like. He looks like 75% of white dudes who live in Seattle. So that doesn't help, I guess. Because it's, it's the the pretty, like, bland face with a beard. And he's, like, normal height. Nothing. Yeah. Re- he's named Austin. Yeah. Like, it, there's not a lot to distinguish him. It's going to be a real challenging Sporkle quiz in a couple years, I have a feeling. Um, I think that a little bit of this, too, is, like... They're showcasing these guys, so, like, they have control over a lot of them. I think that they could they could trade them, you know, not for anything big, but who doesn't need a utility infielder? Like, that's that's super useful. Like, to have one that's not Taylor Motter, for sure. Oh, man. The last yeah. time I was at the stadium, I was next to a guy in a Taylor Motter jersey. Oh, that's a poor choice. It was wild, because my friend and I were talking about jersey numbers, too, and, like, uh like who's going to wear what number because with the prospects it's like hard to know what their number of choice is because they right. have to change so much and then we were like oh i think 21 might be open if i mean it's certainly a player doesn't have it it might be a coach and then the guy in the modern jersey was like oh well modern had that and we were like yeah we know <laughs> <laughs> that's not something that needs to be like preserved in glass casing the taylor modern <laughs> memorial jersey. jersey oh god uh, maybe as a reminder that it was not a don't ever fall in love with someone just who comes up and hits a bunch of home runs right off the bat, unless that person is named Kyle Lewis. Right, then it's fine. Then it's fine. Um, I, yeah, so I understand, like, becoming invested in Taylor Motter. I think a lot of people did. Um, but, like, you have to also be willing to let that go. And, I mean, maybe not everyone knows what we know, that he is uh, kind of a dirtbag and no one really likes I think they him. could. They got the general sense, I think. It's one of those, and I hate to do this, but it's one of those, like, yeah, I just looked at him. Like, <laughs> and I know that, like, fucking cancel me if you need to, but <laughs> I trust my instincts on guys who look like that. Uh, um, you know, that's fair. Should we talk Ichiro a little bit? This is, of course, Ichiro weekend. We should, we should. Yeah, we're going to have to wrap it up here pretty soon because I think I'm going to go to the park tonight. So. Yeah, Kate is being, you know, when, like, um, celebrity profiles, they're always like, it always starts with them, like, they're eating lunch and the writer describes what they're eating and then they have to be whisked away. It's always <laughs> a whisk. That's what's happening to you right now. Kate is being whisked away from the podcast. Yeah, I mean, whisked by public transportation and what am I eating? I am eating the saddest. I've been working on this the whole time. I have a fair scone from the Puyallup Fair, oh, but it's like yeah. really old and hard. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it was fine the first, like, half of it, and then I think I, like, overheated it and just made the rest of it rock hard, but I'm trying to get through it, like, just willing myself to finish it, because, you know, it's a fair scone. Right, And then get yeah. those once a year. Exactly, yeah. It's like September baseball. You only get it once a year, and you just gotta... <laughs> 
you gotta will yourself through and it. then Sometimes it ends there's a surprise at the end like, it ends right at the end of september yeah like, packs right, up just anyway. as quickly as the fair yes Anyway, we've got Ichiro stuff. Uh, yes. We are recording this on the Saturday of Ichiro weekend. So today is Bobblehead Day, I believe. It is Bobblehead Day. All right, I- perfect. Because we have a question from a Hall of Fame employee, Isabel Manassian. Oh. Uh, Isabel Fancy. would like to know, what is weird? one weird Ichiro artifact you'd want to see in his Hall of Fame inductee exhibit? Uh, I have an answer. Okay, I have an answer, happen. too. Mine is, uh, remember, I was not here for the majority of the Ichiro years, so, like, oh, I kind of right. missed Ichiro mania. Like, Those I knew were the who Philly was years for Kate? Those were uh, college. Okay. It was college and working every day during the summer to pay for college. I see. And, yeah, so, like, not, not a whole lot of Mariner attending, Mariner game attending for me during those years. And then, yeah, gone to... Grad school, Philly, stuff like that. So I I don't have, like, a strong personal connection to Ichiro other than, like, what we've seen over the past couple of years, which is uh-huh. that he's hilarious. The whole, I don't know if people know this, but the whole go-ahead thing, um, yeah, that was Ichiro. I- Ichiro started that. So, like, and it just went all through the organization. Like, the in Arkansas, they had shirts that said go-ahead. Um, it's on tape. You can, you can see it. There's a video of it somewhere. Um, so maybe one of the Gahead shirts. Perfect. That's perfectly niche because Ichiro, I feel like for a lot of people was kind of niche. Like I was trying to think about like one favorite Ichiro memory because, uh, Oh, or the Ichi rolls, the Ichi. I do remember the Ichi rolls because the first year that sushi was at the ballpark. I I remember that very clearly because I was like, sushi at the ballpark. Park. Yeah, that pissed off the old heads for sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I thought it was great, but yeah, I do remember the whole controversy about it and everything. So it's not I think ballpark food. I think Ichi rolls would should also be in there, just because not only does it represent like something that was kind of fun and very Ichiro bit, but also it was like kind of the transformation of ballpark culture yeah. from something that was very. Geminis and you know popcorn and cracker jacks and yeah. rah, rah, rah. Um, into like the more global kind of fun. I, one could say people are taking it too far with some of the weird ballpark food nowadays, but it, yeah, it is in Major League Baseball. <laughs> clean it up, uh, but it is it it, it it that was kind of I think like a like a turning point for the different cultural influences or or just. Yeah, diversifying what is on offer at parks. Yeah, I think um, what I was going to say is like you had been, you know, whisked away to grad school and to other (laughs) worldly endeavors during the Ichiro era. Uh, Flex incoming. I was very young during most of the Ichiro era. I have to go put my head in the lake. Excuse me. But no. So what I was going to say is for me, I remember more feelings and specific events like I wasn't watching the throw live or the home run against Rivera that walk off where he does the crotch chop at the end, which is amazing. Like, I don't <laughs> oh, I forgot about those. that. <laughs> it's I think that might be my favorite like YouTube Ichiro moment, but I don't remember a lot of them live. One that I do remember specifically watching live was him in the all-star game in San Francisco when he hit the inside the park home run off Chris Young, I believe, who became a Mariner later. But that was, I think, oh, a perfect, oversized like, Hummel figurine Chris Young. The very same, yeah, that was him. 
it was like a perfect encapsulation of Ichiro because for a lot of people, like a lot of baseball fans, they're not watching the 2007 Mariners, but they see Ichiro in the All-Star game and he immediately does this like quintessentially Ichiro thing because it was a combination of like, you know, the old legend, like Ichiro has sneaky power. And we kind of saw that because he hit it off the bricks in San Francisco. And then he just ran like the wind, which was the other thing that everyone knows about Ichiro. So it felt like that was the like, hey, if you're in the Midwest and you don't see a lot of Ichiro, like this is about the most perfect thing you could have seen from him to like really to give you the whole like Ichiro of what this man can do. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. To answer the question that Isabel (laughs) asked, I, like I said, the feelings of Ichiro, sort of the aura around him, for me, involved a lot of his fashion, which I'm still obsessed with to this day. I'm surprised that we haven't ever gotten an article on Ichiro's fashion from you, actually. Well, I mean, don't tempt me with a good time. That sounds like something I would absolutely want to write. But so in that in that uh, that space, obviously, the number one, the headliner of Ichiro's fashion, for me, at least, is the Tom and Jerry sweater that he's wearing when he meets Michael Jordan. Have you seen that picture? Mm-mm. Oh, man. If you're anyone who's not driving a car right now, please look up Ichiro and Michael Jordan. Ichiro is smiling ear to ear. I think it's like the mid 90s. And he's wearing like a turtleneck sweater that just has Tom and Jerry on it, which is so funny. All right, I'm looking it up. I don't know if Ichiro like is actually a Tom and Jerry head or if he's like doing it as like a fit, like how people wear like band shirts they don't actually listen to. I want to believe that he loves Tom and Jerry, but either one is in play with the mysterious Ichiro. So I think that needs to be in the Hall of Fame. All right. I have pulled it up and oh, wow. Right. It's a look. (laughs) It's a turtleneck sweatshirt. (laughs) It sure is. But that's the perfect thing to put in the Hall of Fame because it's so of an era, too. Yeah. Wow. That's, um... I want that. Isabel, please get your hands on the Ichiro. So his eyes are closed in this picture? He's so happy with Michael Jordan. He is. So I like that. And then I also remember from, like, like his actual debut season, he would wear those, like, very hip at the time, like, tiny athletic sunglasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. For those who follow me on Twitter, at MRoberson22, my header photo is Ichiro and Mike Cameron. And Ichiro is wearing, like, the exact glasses I'm talking about. I think a little pair of those need to be in the Hall of Fame. And then, of course, just a wool sock with two rats in it. (laughs) (laughs) And we have a full exhibit. What we've just put together is the best exhibit in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the only one with live animals and Mm -hmm. a a sweater from a mid-90s photo op. Isabel, sorry for sending PETA after you in advance, but... Yeah, I mean, we could... The the rats don't maybe need to be there, but Could they be animatronic rats? They could. They absolutely could. (laughs) I think that's... Let's get the Chuck E. Cheese people on the line. That's like the Ichiro influence that we're talking about, (laughs) is he could bring it to the Hall of Fame, too, and really really put his stamp on it. (laughs) Um, Someone on Twitter at... Seattle Ginge wants us to talk about the Ichiro catch that the Mariners posted on Twitter this week. Did you see this? The oh, practice thing? I did. Um, where he's, he's out shagging balls during yeah. batting practice. So Ichiro is shagging batting practice fly balls normally. He's facing home plate. There's a ball in the air. And then while it's in the air, Ichiro turns his <laughs> back to the infield and catches it like basically at his head. So what he's doing is tracking the ball backwards, essentially. And... My first react it took me a couple times to like fully grasp what he had done because at first when I saw it I was like oh he caught a fly ball and then he like did a little twist but then I watched it yeah, over me and too. over I watched it over and over and I was like okay I kind of get it 
But my initial reaction when I like finally kind of grasped it was that doesn't seem too hard, which should tell you that it's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically the easier something in baseball looks, the harder it is to pull off in real life. Yeah. Exactly. And like I could I played, you know, low level baseball as a child. Like I could catch a fly ball in batting practice, but once I get turned around and have to track it from a different angle, that ball's hitting me in the face. <laughs> and Ichiro did it perfectly, which tells me, like I said, that it's a very, very specific skill that only a few people on earth have. Did you see the thing from Tom Kohler, a former Marlins pitcher who played with Ichiro? No. He responded to the video, he saw it on Twitter. And he said that he would try it in batting practice all the time, he being Kohler, and Ichiro would laugh at him and tell him that he sucked at it. <laughs> that seems right. It does. My favorite little Ichiro bit is that he doesn't call anyone by their real name. Like, he would, he called Ken Griffey George, because that's Ken Griffey's <laughs> actual name. And he would call Derek Jeter Sanderson, which is his middle name. <laughs> and apparently the Sanderson thing, I think that was a Phil Hughes Twitter story pitcher who played with them on the Yankees he said that Ichiro would just call him Sanderson and then laugh to himself like nobody else thought it was funny and Ichiro's just cracking up the whole time. Ichiro Uh, definitely seems like someone who has always made his own fun yes I appreciate in a lot of ways similar to us in that respect (laughs) we have crafted our own fun we just crafted I'd say 54 minutes of just straight fun mainlined into people's ears I hope I mean I hope so and edutainment maybe hopefully you also learned that's the tagline for this movie or not movie if this was a movie it would be great and the tagline would be edutainment hollywood call us this is yeah (laughs) help us transform this baseball (laughs) podcast into a feature film the people need it oh man no they certainly don't but uh thank you everyone who listened as always um we really appreciate everyone who takes time out of their life to entertain this nonsense yes um, and send us questions and yes it's very heartwarming that. to see that people care about this and want to see it grow and nurture it and send us complaints when we're recording outdoors at a bar <laughs> yeah we promised not to do that again for a while yeah those are yeah that was more i think we hadn't had a lot of face-to-face interaction that was about the Mariners. Like, a lot of it is just, like, we want to see each other and talk about baseball with our friends. Yeah. And then we just brought a microphone sometimes. (laughs) This one, though, was purely business. Kyle Lewis forced us into a professional podcast, (sighs) and we've done it. So, Kyle Lewis, thank you. Uh, Audio quality, not terrible. Actually, (laughs) I... Enjoy the last bits of the season, because before we know it, as... as rough as this season has been to watch um they baseball's gonna be gone here in like just a few weeks so yeah, no one wants to watch the astros just bulldoze the play it's not gonna be fun i'm go dodgers um Viva los Doyers. uh yeah that's fun um yeah so enjoy them while we have them because the off season is long and it is dark but also, spring training is, uh, you know, it'll be here before you know it, so. It sure will. So we will talk to you next time, probably, hopefully, sometime next week. Yeah, I think so. I think we should uh, do a season um, season sort of recap where we hand out big league awards. We've done minor league awards on the site, which you should go read, but I think we could come up with some sort of joke bit type awards for um, the big league team that's had sort of a, a clown season that deserves maybe not the most prestigious <laughs> Absolutely. 
uh, yes, send us your suggestions for awards we could give out. That's perfect. Yeah, look at Kate <laughs> engaging our, our community. That's what I try to do. It's All right, and with that, sign us off, Miss Producer. All right, thank you for listening to the Lookout Landing Podcast. I'm Kate. I'm, I'm Matthew, and we will talk to you next week.